This podcast will self-destruct in approximately 58 minutes. That's right, for the very first time ever, I watched Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading. I watched Burn After Reading. <laughs> what is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tented Classics, the show where I... Your host, Jake Ryan Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them, and today is not a special episode, it's just me. It's just little old Jake, alone in the studio, all alone with an hour and 15 minutes to record before he's gotta get out of the building. He wasn't gonna do it, but then he decided he should do it, and now he's singing a song cause he's all alone. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, sinkhole opened in the middle of the thing, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The Satan guy from the viral video, if anybody's seen that one. <laughs> so I just want to be up front here at the top of the episode with you guys. I was seriously considering not doing this episode, and here's the main reason why. I, uh, there's a lot of Coen Brothers movies I haven't seen before. One of those obviously was Burn After Reading, hence this episode. I saw it was on HBO Max last night, and I saw it was only like 90 minutes, and I was like, hey, <laughs> I need to do something for this upcoming episode, uh, let's do this. And so I put it on, it was pretty late at night, I was just kind of chilling in bed watching it. I, um, I have very mixed feelings about this movie, and it seems to be a movie that's somewhat well regarded in fact most of the people i follow on letterboxd gave it four and a half if not five stars uh, except for my friend andrew shout out to friend of the show andrew he gave it three stars and it was funny because going into it i was like man because andrew i love him so much and he has very specific tastes in films and i remember thinking hmm i wonder why he gave it three stars i bet he's just kind of not loving something about it but i'm sure all these other people that I follow who've given it five stars really uh, gave me hope. And by the end of the movie, I kind of found myself being like, hmm, I see why Andrew gave this three stars. <laughs> is, is, is this a way too convoluted of a way of saying that I didn't love this movie and now I'm kind of afraid to talk about it because it seems to be pretty well liked and I'm not out here, you know, I'm not really out here to like bash and hate on stuff, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to parse through my feelings on the film and figure out what I like because there's things I did like about it. I mean, the cast is stellar and all the performances are great. The movie looks great. I mean, it's the fucking Coen brothers. Like they, they don't make anything shitty, but this definitely was not the uh, movie for me. What I look for in movies is not this. I like characters that I want to go on a ride with and this it just I guess the best way I can put it is the entire time I was watching it it felt like every time I had a problem with what was going on it felt like there was this little grinning voice in my ear saying yeah but that's the point the point is they're all really stupid and they're all dumb and don't know what they're doing and you're just watching them bumble and be idiots which is weird because like that's like a Coen Brothers staple is you're just watching people make mistakes and fuck up and try to figure a way out of them. That's just like every movie they make. But this is almost like a like satire level bonkers cartoon character type stuff. But then again, it's also like 
you do know people that are this vain and stupid and the fact that this one's like centered on the government and we've basically come to realize that everyone working in the government is an idiot uh and so it's one of those things it reminded me watching this reminded me a little bit of watching adam mckay's don't look up where i just felt like i was being hammered in the face repeatedly with the same message over and over this one not as bad just because the characters were so specific and like i mean they were interesting but i kind of just hated all of them and i i just i wasn't excited by any scene like brad pitt I appreciate him as an actor. I've always said he's an underrated character actor and seeing him play this character in this movie, this Chad character, I felt kind of vindicated because I was like, yeah, he can do this shit. He's been doing this shit. He's good. And people love him in the movie. And, and like when he would show up, I'd be like, aha, he's being funny. And I love the performance that he's giving, but I just was never compelled by anything that was going on. And it's not like for a lack of stakes or anything like that. It's that's the whole, again, that whole like winky haha the whole point of the movie is there is no stakes even though everyone thinks there are and it's just i don't know it was a really weird viewing experience and so i was really nervous to do this episode and i'm still nervous to do the episode because i don't know what to say i don't know if i should have spent more time meditating on it instead of doing this episode so soon after having watched it i think it's been literally less than 24 hours since i saw it but uh I don't know. Here we are. I decided I was going to do it anyway. I hit record and now here I am in the studio rambling at you guys about burn after reading and my complicated feelings about it. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, I mean, what is there to say? I suppose it's like you got the Cohen brothers, obviously, even though it's kind of interesting these days, they, they haven't, I don't think they've fully split, but they've kind of gone off in their own directions a little bit. But up until recently, it's always been the Coen brothers. And so I guess it's always worth mentioning because it's me and you never know what the fuck I've actually seen, what I've seen of theirs. Uh, I've done No Country for Old Men for the show. Uh, Fargo was a movie I grew up watching and I, I love Fargo. I've never seen The Big Lebowski, never seen Inside Lewin Davis, never seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I've now seen Burn After Reading. I've seen The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I actually didn't see the tragedy of Macbeth, the the new uh, movie that I think Joel did by himself. And uh, I've seen Hail Caesar. I've seen Raising Arizona, which I believe I also did for the show. I haven't seen A Serious Man. I haven't seen Barton Fink. I have seen Blood Simple. This is all just word salad, unless you're like a huge Coen Brothers fan. But yeah, so I've seen like some of their stuff. I've missed some big ones. I've been saving the Big Lebowski. Ironically, I mentioned him at the top of the show, but. My friend Andrew, uh, I've been always, I've, I've always kind of just had that one off to the side for him because it's one of his favorites. It sounds like I might be doing Inside Lewin Davis here pretty soon too, so we'll be able to check off some more Coen Brothers stuff. Um, you know, I, I always love the way their movies look. They usually use Roger Deakins for a lot of their films, but they kind of. I was watching a thing and they used uh, Emmanuel Lubezki for this one. I like the way this movie looks, though. The contrast, the film style. He shot Birdman. Uh, I've never seen it, but I really want to watch E2 Mama Tambien at some point. Looks like he shot Amsterdam, which didn't do very well, but <laughs> Reality Bites. There you go. Oh, oh, here's the big one. Of course, the cat in the hat. <laughs> you see, he's shot cat in the hat. I mean, the guy's a genius. Uh, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but 
yeah, it's, it, everyone that's behind the film is doing a good job. Carter Burwell did the score. I love Carter Burwell. I think he's kind of a one of the underrated composers for stuff. He, I know he's done a lot of McDonough's films, uh, Martin McDonough, and I always think those scores are great. I, I like Carter Burwell a lot. But I mean, the the, the stars, <laughs> I guess, to be slightly sarcastic uh, or cheeky. The stars of the show are, are the, the cast. I mean, the cast is star-studded. Uh, we've got George Clooney. We've got Francis McDormand. We've got Brad Pitt. We've got John Malkovich. We've got Tilda Swinton. We've got Richard Jenkins, who another actor I'd say is a little bit underrated, to be honest. Um, J.K. Simmons. And then, you know, some of the other players that aren't as recognizable in the film are still great. Everybody in this movie is turning in a great performance. Uh, I think the Coen brothers are kind of infamous for being very meticulous with their actors. It's literally like every comma has a purpose and deliver it how I say. I, I want to say I was watching an interview with Jonah Hill recently and he was talking about, because uh, he's in Hail Caesar for like a scene and he's great in it. Hail Caesar, actually, I quite like that film a lot. Hail Caesar in this movie, I've always been kind of hard on George Clooney because I've always been like, he's one of the movie stars that I'm like, whenever he's in something, I'm just like, yeah, that's George Clooney. But I think the Coen brothers really know how to use him effectively. Uh, he's so good as a dumbass in Hail Caesar. And he's really good in this too. And this is kind of off topic, but I think this is maybe the, the most attractive I think he's ever been in something. There's something about his weird scruffiness in this film that I was like, man, George Clooney's fucking hot though <laughs> like his his playboy antics make a lot of, it's just it's nice to see a movie where it's just like yeah that is one of the most attractive movie stars on the planet and it makes sense that he's so easily able to get so many women because it's like look at him he's george fucking clooney even if he is a blowhard he looks like george clooney uh but he's he's good in the coen brothers movies it makes me kind of not want to be so hard on him and i've obviously never seen Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, which I think is like the, the peace de resistance for some people. I know people really love that movie. I just have never seen it, so I have no opinion on it. Um, but it's tough, too, because it's like you have someone like Tilda Swinton in this movie who I think is kind of criminally underutilized in this role. It's cool to see her play just sort of like a straightforward ice queen woman. But it's also like it's Tilda Swinton. She's capable of so much. It's kind of interesting because... Uh, she, she's almost like unrecognizable in Hail Caesar because she's almost so normal, even though she's playing twins, you just kind of always expect her to be doing something really weird. And the Coen brothers seem to like to cast her as like just normal people. And it feels like you're not using Tilda Swinton effectively, but it also just shows you how much dang range she has when she just shows up and is just like a normal person. And you're just like, yeah, that's Tilda Swinton. She can do it all. I would honestly, if I was making a top 10 best actors working today list, I Tilda Swinton is, is maybe at the top of that list. If definitely in the top 10 though, I think she's just one of the best that's doing it. She's an absolute chameleon. And I think it's just because of that, because she's like not even in the movie that much and her character's not very interesting at all as opposed to all these other characters that are, that are populating the movie, it, it just feels like, well, why didn't Tilda Swinton get to just be crazy and fun? Instead, she's just kind of like, I don't like my shitty husband, and I'm sleeping with George Clooney, and I just kind of exist. I don't know. It just feels like, it's like you, get, you had Tilda Swinton. <laughs> why didn't you do anything with her? <laughs> See, we're already getting into my complicated feelings about the film, but 
I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, as far as everyone else, we've got Frances McDormand. She's always great in everything. A lot of times I feel like in her later career, she's played this sort of like stoic, tough character. So it's really fun to see her be this goofy, ditzy dork in this. Uh, I mean, the, the movie's fun because everyone's playing so against type. It's like the Coens are taking what we know about these actors and sort of using them against us where John Malkovich is, tends to be this big intimidating presence in in this movie he tries to give off this air of sophistication but really he's just as dumb as every everybody else is and but he just gets to be like what the fuck why the fuck would they go to the Russians uh, I mean, John Malkovich is, he's great. Uh, I loved him in Rounders. <laughs> I've actually never seen Con Air and I've never seen all of being John Malkovich from beginning to end. Those are two that I need to do for the movie. I bet a lot of people don't know I've not seen Con Air and I don't even know if I have it on my list. I need to put it on the list because somebody probably would have snapped it up by now if they knew I'd never seen it. Uh, although that's like a good nineties action film. That one seems ripe for either having Tony or Justin on. At some point, <laughs> but I bet they both like that movie a lot. Uh, but yeah, uh, Jenkins, Richard Jenkins is great. He's been in five trillion things uh, and he's always good. I think most people probably think of him as the dad from Step Brothers. Uh, he's really good in this movie I watched called Kajillionaire a couple of years ago. I highly recommend Kajillionaire. Uh, that's that's a good movie. <laughs> I like that movie. But yeah, I mean, that's our that's our main cast. And then we have J.K. Simmons. He shows up in the back half. For literally two scenes, but he just very eloquently puts a point on the end of everything that's happening. <laughs> I mean, they're good scenes. The thing is, like, the scenes are good, the performances are good, but like the whole package just doesn't quite add up. And the final scene of again, spoiler as as with the as always with the show, I'm gonna spoil the shit out of the movies. Uh, I always recommend either coming in with. Uh, an ability to not care if you're being spoiled or having seen the movie before. Uh, I mean, I, I try to be just descriptive enough when I'm describing the movies that you could follow along if you haven't seen it. But I mean, it helps if you've seen it, but it's also why I try to cover more popular films if I can, because generally it means you've just seen it already. So you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and it's tough with a movie like this where I'm like, uh, I could see some people really liking it and some people really hating it. So a lot of times when I cover something really good, I can just be like, hey, go watch the movie, then come back. But for this, I'm like, I don't know. I didn't love it. Uh, but I mean, it's worth a watch. It's 90 minutes. It's 90 minutes. Uh, but spoilers from here on out. But at the end of the movie, when at the end of the movie, J.K. Simmons is like, well, what did we learn? And this guy, his underlings just kind of like, I don't know, sir. And he's just like, I guess don't do that again. Whatever. Jesus fucking Christ. Last line of the movie is just J.K. Simmons going, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> and then it zooms out. <laughs> That's in the movie. And it kind of feels like a slap in the face as an audience member where it's like, it feels like the character in the movie saying, what was the point of all the shit that you just watched? Nothing. Okay. Bye. See you later. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little odd. Uh, but it's also like, I could see some people really loving the cheekiness and the meta-ness of that and being really taken by that. And I see that a lot of people were. So it's tough. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there, I, I've always said there's almost no such thing as true objectivity. I think that's certainly the case when it comes to something like this, where I just, I felt 
I don't know. I just, I'm not that enthused about the film, but I see what it's doing. I just, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm sitting there going, ha ha, I see what you did there. It's like, it's like when you don't laugh at a joke, but you go, oh, that was a clever joke. Congratulations. <laughs> not as satisfying as just getting an outright laugh though, right? So <laughs> I don't know. Something else that's kind of tough about this film is, you know, generally the format of my show is I kind of go through the plot beat by beat roughly and again this movie's like the whole point of it is the plot is pointless and so i'm like sitting here looking at my notes like okay these scenes happen and i'm just kind of like does it matter but we'll 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 take a stab at it because the scenes are the scenes are memorable and and fun so we'll, we'll we'll dive into them and you know maybe the more i talk about it and sort of analyze the scenes maybe it'll kind of grow on me a little bit uh, so let's find out. <laughs> the The movie opens with uh, John Malkovich being ushered into an office. He's playing a character called Osborne Cox. I, I, I was trying to do my notes where I was using the character names, but the actors are all so famous. Uh, this is going to be an episode where I just call them all by their actor names. So here we go. John Malkovich is brought into the office. He's this analyst for the CIA or something. I think it's the CIA. He he's told he's being fired, let go. Uh, he drinks too much. Uh, one big note o- overall about the film is, I feel like if they were gonna literally open the movie with this character is such an alcoholic that they're firing him, uh, we maybe should have seen him drink a little bit more in the movie. He drinks like twice, and it doesn't even seem to be like an excessive amount. He even like pours part of his shot back into the liquor bottle. But then you know it's one of those things where I sit back and go. Well, is that the point? Maybe he actually doesn't drink that much and they just were looking for an excuse to fire him or they're such tight wads over at the government that even him having like one drink is like, oop, he could be a loose cannon. We better get rid of him. I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to say, but I do know that's what they say to him when they fire him and he freaks out. He's like, this is all a fucking political scandal. And he's pissed, understandably so. They're not like full on firing him. They're just kind of like demoting him or whatever. He goes home and he's upset. Tilda Swinton plays his wife. She comes home and he's trying to tell her that he got fired or that he's going to lie and say he quit, but she won't let him get a word in edgewise because they're having a party that night. And so she just takes off and goes to get the cheeses (laughs) as they talk about. And we just kind of smash cut to the party where we meet two more important characters, George Clooney and uh, the woman that plays his wife is someone I didn't recognize as much, but her name's Elizabeth Marvel. Uh, she's not in the movie too much, but she's great. Uh, George Clooney, you can already, him and John Malkovich kind of have a, a tense conversation. They clearly don't like each other. And George Clooney, uh, this never pays off, but he's always talking about how all the shit he's allergic to never really comes up. A bit of a fake Chekhov's gun there. <laughs> uh, I think it's just to establish that he's a weirdo. Uh, but he, at one point, he corners Tilda Swinton in the kitchen and you find out that they're having an affair and so so tilda swinton's sleeping with with george clooney so they're both cheating on their spouses they're both scumbags uh i guess i'm glad we got that established <laughs> i don't know he's obsessed with floors like i said he's handsome and tilda swinton is gorgeous and stuff and it's like you're just watching all these dumb rich hot people be pieces of shit i guess and it's like it's just one of those things where it's amusing but it's also it's i think i think the thing is the the darker the world gets i I found an article when i was trying to research this film where it was like 
burn after reading is the perfect Trump era political satire. And I was like, I was like, is it though? Cause when I watch stuff like this now, it just makes me depressed because it makes me be like, that's just how awful and stupid everyone actually is. And it doesn't even, it doesn't feel like satire. It just feels like I'm having reality punch me in the face over and over again. And it's not very pleasant. Uh, <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, rich, shitty people have nothing better to do than cheat on each other. Yay. Uh, I'm loving it. <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Tilda Swinton's uh, pretty mean to John Malkovich. Uh, he says he's quit his job and he wants to write a book. She's very dismissive of him. We see her visit a lawyer. The guy that's playing a lawyer is great. He's just kind of like, well, I don't caution blah, 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 but you know, you just give it a chance, but he's clearly guiding her towards a divorce because he wants to make that money because spoilers, guys, every single person in this movie is an irredeemable piece of shit. Uh, even the couple of the characters who are so dumb, they're kind of innocent, are still doing bad things and are hard to like. So that's just this movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, she wants a divorce. We already know she's cheating. We get a montage of John Malkovich just sort of bumming around the house doing nothing. Uh, you get a weird scene where he's on a boat. I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. Everybody remember that Lonely Island T-Pain song? <laughs> uh, but he's with his dad and we have this weird shot where his dad's face is in the foreground and he's clearly just not mentally there. And John Malkovich is sort of like trying to have a heart to heart with him and it's just not going well. It is like one of the most sympathetic scenes in the movie where you just kind of feel for the guy. It's like kind of sad, but he's also just so clueless and, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not ignorant, but just doesn't really understand what's going on around him. It feels like uh, oblivious is the word I was searching for there, but he goes home and he decides to go to this Princeton gradu uh, graduates I don't even know what you call it. Uh, what do you call it when they meet up again after reunion, Princeton reunion? Uh, it, it's interesting because you think this is going to factor in more, but I think it's just more character building stuff for Malkovich where he's Princeton educated. He thinks he's really smart. He, it feels like he's reminding himself that he's smart by attending this thing. Uh, but while he's out, uh, Swinton's lawyer had advised her to try to get a snapshot of their financials. And so you see her downloading this information to the cd which will heavily factor into the rest of the movie so i just got to make note of the cd and it's around here where we finally introduce our other sort of set of characters we cut over to linda lipsky or whatever the hell her name is she has a great name uh which is why it's worth mentioning yeah linda litsky uh but that this is francis mcdormand she's at a plastic surgeon and she's just basically really nitpicking every part of her body and uh, the guy playing the plastic surgeon is really great because he's doing this good job of walking this line of, well, this surgery is probably necessary, but technically you don't have to do this. But he obviously wants to upsell her as much as he possibly can because that's what he does uh, while simultaneously se trying to seem positive and upbeat and, and kind or whatever. But it's basically it feels like Frances McDormand's defining character trait is she just thinks uh, outward beauty is everything. And she doesn't feel like she lives up to the standards that she should, even though she's Frances McDormand and she's a gorgeous woman. Uh, and Richard Jenkins will try to tell her that she's great the way she is later in the movie, but she will have none of it. Uh, this is tough for me because I'm a big believer in 
I think people should be able to do what they want to try to be happy in their own bodies, but it's also like, I don't know, like cutting everything up and doing crazy shit is, I, I, it feels less like it's about how you feel as a person and it's more like the world's perception of you. I, I wish, especially these days, it feels like there's such a heavy emphasis on trying to pretend that we're not aging. I feel like we've got a lot of like 60 something year old actors who have had so much plastic surgery. It's like, wow, Tom Cruise, I can't believe he's 60 years old. And it's like, yeah, well, he's got billions of dollars and, and he uses it to try to stay young. And I just kind of wish we were more okay with just like aging and wrinkles and, and crow's feet and, and, and finding beauty in that. Uh, I, I think, I think the things that we find beautiful and, and interesting on humans is somewhat internal but i think a lot of it is external i think we're influenced by what we see and what we're told is beautiful and it's hammered into our heads we kind of get indoctrinated to a certain idea if you do nothing but see airbrushed models on magazines your entire life you think that's the standard of beauty and it's hard to live up to that it's makeup and 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 false perception and all sorts of crazy shit uh and, and it's interesting because this movie's obviously making a commentary on that it, it, you have this character whose entire motivation is to just get money to pay for these surgeries that she doesn't really need. You know, you get a phone call later in the movie where she's arguing with her medical insurance where they're just like, it's an elective surgery. She's like, no, you don't understand. I work at a gym and it's necessary. And they're like, no, it's not. Uh, you, you, you getting a tiny tummy tuck and uh, your face stretched out. That's not necessary surgery, you know? And it's like, it's interesting because it all does feel like a commentary, but again, it's like, it's, it's like almost too on the nose at, at a certain point too. So I, again, I don't necessarily a hundred percent know how to feel about it as an audience member, you know, like I kind of, I mean, I sympathize with her and I, I like the idea that of what they're playing with where she's being, she's been so outwardly influenced by that, but it's kind of funny too, because she is like going on dates and she doesn't seem to have, I mean, she's on a dating website, but it seems like she's fairly successful with anyone that she reaches out to. So, I mean, she gets with George Clooney in the movie pre-surgery, and yet it still never makes her... I thought for sure, once she started hooking up with Clooney, she'd maybe have a moment of like, maybe I don't need the surgery or something. But no, she never wavers from that goal the entire film. <laughs> it's it's pretty wild. <laughs> Again, it's almost like like I said... The movie's a little bit cartoonish in that way. It's it's interesting. But like I said, she works at this gym called Hard Bodies. That's where she, Brad Pitt, and Richard Jenkins work. Richard Jenkins seems to be the manager. We meet Brad Pitt. He's this like absolute himbo dipshit guy who just loves listening to music and bopping around. He's he uh, no thoughts, just music. He's he's an idiot and he's he's pretty funny, probably the funniest character in the movie. I think he's the thing that most people remember most vividly <laughs> uh but yeah i mean he's 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 great in the movie i like him him and francis mcdormand seem to have a pretty decent relationship he's sort of spying on her or she's showing him some of her potential dates and he's kind of like "Ooh, that guy sucks and blah 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 and oh what about him that's kind of cool he's like works for the government and stuff it's also interesting because i think this movie's like kind of set in washington dc so a, a bit of a like a change up from uh, most movies, which are always either set in LA or New York. So it feels nice to have a slightly different change of scenery and having the 
sort of political aspect hanging over everything that the the this world revolves around, you know. Also, pretty early on in the movie, uh, Francis McDormand and Richard Jenkins have like a scene together where it just makes it super obvious that Richard Jenkins is in love with her. I remember at one point they're having like this heart to heart in the bar, and everything he tries to say to her, she just blows off immediately. And there's just a moment where I just kind of have to sit back and go, hmm, I guess Richard Jenkins' idiot trait, because everyone in this movie is an idiot, and even though he seems like maybe the most normal person in the movie, he has to have an idiot trait too. This idiot trait seems to be being in love with this vapid woman who has nothing to offer him, but for some reason he's just in love with her anyway. I don't know if it's pure physical attraction. I just, I don't see anything about her that would make him so head over heels with her to the point where he literally breaks into someone's house later in the movie for her. And it's like, why? Like she's kind of sucks and you interface with her almost daily. So, you know, she sucks. You're sitting at the bar having this conversation with her and she's an idiot. And yet you're just like, Oh, but I love her. I don't know. It's like, why? I get, but I guess that's his big flaw is he's in love with a, with a worthless woman. <laughs> and when I say worthless woman, I mean the character that Francis McDormand is playing. Of course, like Francis McDormand is amazing. We love her. Uh, but Linda, she sucks. <laughs> I guess I skipped over it, but very important quote unquote plot point. Uh, but the janitor at hard bodies finds this CD. Brad Pitt gets his mitts on it and he's convinced that it's this secret dossier of like, super important CIA information and he's going through it and he's like, Oh my God. And, uh, Francis McDormand's pretty interested in it too. And so they're going over it. Richard Jenkins wants nothing to do with it, but they found the CD. Brad Pitt's trying really hard to act like he knows what's going on, but he obviously doesn't. And then he ends up going over to Francis McDormand's house in the middle of the night and waking her up. And he's like, we got to do that. We're going to like call this guy. And like, I, I had my computer friend find out who it belonged to. And he's basically, he basically is like, we're going to blackmail this guy, but he's, it's one of the more interesting parts of the film, I'd say is they're planning on blackmailing this guy, but I think they're convinced that it's not technically blackmail, that they're still doing like a good thing by turning the information over to this guy, uh, until it goes completely haywire. They keep saying they're a good Samaritan. We get one of the better scenes in the movie where Brad Pitt calls John Malkovich and Francis McDormand is listening in and it kind of goes back to that Coen brothers want you to say every comma thing. Just all the pauses that Brad Pitt does are so deliberate and stuff. It's a good scene again. It's, and he's, he's, he's got like a really great run here. He's got like the iconic, he's in her apartment. He's doing the arm pump thing, listening to music. And it's just like, he's got a lot of really good moments and it's funny. Like I'm like chuckling and stuff at some of this stuff, but and especially him on the phone. And Malkovich is doing his Malkovich thing. He's like, you don't understand what you have, fuck face. I don't think he says fuck face in this movie, but that's that's the Malkovich line, fuck face. Uh, <laughs> but he, he gets pretty rowdy. Brad Pitt doesn't really know how to handle it. McNorman tries to cut in, and, he, and Malkovich just sort of yells at both of them, and then they hang up on him, and it's just kind of like, okay, uh, we'll try to figure out how to blackmail this guy later. Uh, in the meantime, McDorman ends up matching with Clooney and going on a date. She was on a date previously with one of the guys we saw firing uh, Malkovich, but it didn't go very well. But we sort of see a repeat of the date, which again, you know, sort of shows you her where she's just hitting the same beats. She literally goes to the same movie that she already went to. uh, And she laughs at the same part, which I mean, Hey, 
you know, more power to people that like to watch the same thing over and over. That's never really been my thing. Uh, I usually need a little bit of time in between stuff, but you know, hey, no, no judgment, I guess. But Clooney laughs. Oh, Clooney must be great. They fall into bed together. I will say, for a movie that's got a lot of cheating and sex stuff, uh, there's not really any sex scenes, which is kind of an interesting way to play it. You know, props to him. Although I was just kind of, uh, I was out with drinks, out with drinks. Yeah, my friend drinks. Uh, ironically, non-alcohol doesn't drink alcohol. Uh, but no, I was out for drinks with a couple of my friends, uh, friends of the show, actually, uh, Kurt and uh, Joey. Uh, and we were talking about movies and it kind of came up where modern movies are so sexless. And especially like we were talking about Nolan movies and how there's just nothing sexy in Nolan movies. And I just I don't know. I kind of miss I, I mean, I, as long as it's like it's that hard line, right, where in older movies they were so exploitative and just not very uh i don't think they had intimacy coordinators on the last boy scout you know uh but it's just like i just feel like movies are so sexless these days it just seems sad i think it's a product of sort of american prudishness too where it's just like i don't know i think that like just movies should be sexier uh they just should be and we should be okay with them being sexier and it's a bummer that they aren't i don't know I don't know. Uh, am I going to have to like play the full on clip of the I don't know guy for the Satanist uh, <laughs> viral thing? But <laughs> Every, Kurt, pointed, Kurt pointed it out last night, and now I'm like hearing myself say it, and I'm just like, hmm, it does kind of sound like that. <laughs> A massive sinkhole, at least 25 feet wide and several feet deep. The images are startling, and the fear for passing drivers very real. We were just driving down chain, and the next thing you know, we just missed this giant sinkhole. It's amazing that we didn't fall in. Pastor Barry Randolph and his niece narrowly missing the huge hole as they drove down chain near Medbury. At the time, the sinkhole wasn't marked, alerting them and other drivers to the danger. I thought perhaps a gateway to the other side had finally crinkled and cracked, opening up a putrid passageway in the middle of Chain Street to Beelzebub's bungalow many, many miles down. I don't know. As I stared into the darkened void, imagining the hordes of devils soon to spring forth, I couldn't help but ponder. How deep does that hole go? But, uh, yeah, you never see it. Like, the closest you get is you see, I think, Clooney and Tilda Swinton in bed together, but she's got, like, a sheet covering herself up, and we never saw anything. It's just, like, it just always cuts away when anything, like, sexual happens, which is, is fine for this movie. I think it works for the tone of this film. Although it would be like hilarious just to see these idiots like how they do their thing because it's like like what kind of lover is George Clooney? I feel like that would be kind of a re interesting revealing character thing. Is he is he going down on you for a while or is it just all like pump and dump? <laughs> Sorry for the grotesque language, but I just I don't know. I think that would tell you. Uh, I think it would tell you a lot about his character actually, but we don't see any of that unfortunately. With all these great celebrities. No no celebrities fucking though. <laughs> Does that sound like super pervy? I don't know. I'm talking about like tasteful stuff though. Like I mean like the bound like go back to Bound by the Wachowskis. I mean, where's that shit? That that stuff was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> For on this hallowed day, sweet, sweet mama Earth opened up her gaping and gaseous orifice to finally allow the darkened one to claw his way out of the shadow zone and into our luminescent heaviside lair, like Kruger into the Thompson's tub, and my consciousness is Nancy's open thighs. I don't know. Most of the pit scenes are pretty good. Then we get another good one where 
he gets in the car with Malkovich and he's he's like trying to be intimidating and he's like but he's just sort of squinting at Malkovich. It, it's funny. Malkovich is like, you're doing blackmail. And even if I don't pay you and you try to sell it, that's called treason and blah, blah, blah. Again, it should be said, I've kind of danced around it, but this CD that they have is just notes from this shitty memoir that he was trying to write. So th- it's, it's nothing. They're, they're not government secrets. There's nothing important on the CD. It, it's almost kind of weird that Malkovich is even trying to get the CD back and giving them the time of day. But again, I can think it just plays into how stupid he is and just how stupid everyone is. They just don't realize how dumb all of this is and pointless it is. Uh, pointless it is, rather. And I don't know. Uh, he yells at them. <laughs> I'm hearing it now. Every time I say, I don't know, it's going to plague me for the rest of my life. <laughs> Through the holographic plane of existence that flickers and fades like an Alf rerun watched at three o'clock in the morning whilst your sleeping stepdad slumbers and snores. I now see this world as evanescent as I lock eyes with the legion of the underworld who will stand shoulder to shoulder with me and see me as more than Mark who works at Arby's. See me as the true soldier of Samhain that I really am and together we will chant into the brightened fray. Stepdads be damned and naysayers be gone for I am the prince of Purgatoria. I am the infernal firstborn son of Lucifer. I am Gordon in some way the rogue, last son of Melmac, and the luckies of this world didn't even stand a chance. I don't know. But he punches Brad Pitt in the face. Brad Pitt stumbles back to Francis McDormand. You get like a really brief car chase where she rear ends Malkovich and then drives away. We just get to see a little little fire. She's just she really wants those surgeries, guys. Uh <laughs> but she decides, fuck it. If he won't pay us. The Russians will. So they're just like going full on treason at this point. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're just, uh, they're talking to the Russians. The Russians are just like, what, what do you have? And then they look at it and they're just like, this is, this is nothing. They sort of turn her away and blow her off for the rest of the movie. Uh, it's kind of funny. She, again, she's got, uh, uh, Frances McDormand at multiple times in the movie. She's got real Karen energy there's literally a scene where she's like let me speak to your manager on the phone and stuff so kind of pre the karen vocab or whatever but uh at some point we get a scene where uh tilda swenton and george clooney are at lunch together we are mostly just seeing that clooney's getting cold feet with swenton she's talking about how she's gonna divorce malkovich and she's telling clooney he really needs to divorce his wife too and they had talked about it in bed earlier too but we, we just, it's, it's, it's kind of a nothing scene. Maybe if I went back and watched it again, there's more going on there, but it really just felt like it was, Hey, you know, how Clooney doesn't actually want to commit to her. Here's another scene where he doesn't want to commit to her. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But, uh, he, and he's also distracted because he's going on a date with Francis McDormand later. The highlight being, he brings her back to his place, which he has like made look like his wife is moving out. Cause he, he tells Francis McDormand early in the movie oh i'm divorced he's like i'm married but we're not together anymore and so when she comes over he like has thrown all of his wife's shit in boxes just to make it look like she's moving out still it's it's pretty wild but he shows her this insane contraption to where it swings back and forth and this dildo like pumps in and out of you uh, i guess it's kind of a funny thing to talk about when i just talked about how sexless movies are <laughs> these days but francis mcdormand seems into it I think I think we're just kind of meant to understand that George Clooney's character is just like an absolute sex addict fiend 
because he like when he goes he goes over and starts staying with Tilda Swinton for a while, and it seems like the only thing he brought was this like sex pillow for like positioning and stuff. It's just the, the guy's got one mode. He he's got two modes. He likes to run and he likes to fuck, and that's about it. <laughs> fucking run, fucking run. Uh, sums up his character. <laughs> Malkovich is talking to this guy that he had follow Pitt. The guy's like, they went to the Russians. Malkovich is like, the Russians? Why the fucking Russians? He's confused. He gets served with papers. Swinton's divorcing him. He's, of course, upset. He gets he goes home and he's been thrown out. So he starts living on his boat. So that's what he's up to. We see Swinton and Clooney together in the house. And Pitt's watching him. There's a kind of a fun scene where Pitt, there's all this, like, these all these machinations going on because someone's trying to serve Clooney and is following Clooney for divorce reasons. And presumably someone's maybe following Malkovich or Swinton around. And there's like CIA stuff. And Pitt is like seeing all these guys sort of just bumbling around doing terrible at tailing people. And yet he's just so dumb. It just doesn't even, none of it really registers. And he hasn't seen Clooney with McDormand. So he doesn't even know that those two are together. Uh, and even with all these people watching the house, Pitt still just breaks in. He's he's bumbling around, but Clooney comes back while he's in there, so he hides in the closet. Um, we get some like tension of Clooney about to come to the closet, uh, about not to, walks away, comes back. We get probably the craziest scene in the movie here, where he opens the door. Clooney opens the door where Pitt is hiding. Pitt does this insane thing where he starts like smiling. It's pretty iconic. Uh, Clooney shoots him in the fucking face, kills him. I was like, I was like, whoa. Was not expecting that because the movie's been goofy and these are all shitty people, but it's been pretty tame so far. So to have someone just get shot in the in the fucking head w- was pretty shocking. I I, I will say that. Uh, and so so Pitt's dead, and we get like a long sequence where Clooney's scrambling around, doesn't even know he shot Pitt, and he finally comes back to the closet and realizes he killed him. He seems convinced that Pitt was like a spy that was that was there for him. And he ends up dumping the body. We find this out because we finally meet J.K. Simmons in the movie, who seems to be a high-up CIA guy. And we just get this exposition dump where his underlings like, yeah, Clooney killed somebody and he dumped the body. We fished the body out, but we couldn't identify it. There's like this CD, this analyst, is his information's out, but it's not really anything. So we don't know what the fuck's going on there. Uh, and J.K. Simmons just kind of goes, huh, well, uh, I guess keep an eye on it. Let, let me know what's going on. It's just, it just, you know, incompetence all around. That's the entire theme of the movie. Everyone's dumb. Everyone's incompetent. It's just, it's the same beat over and over and over. There's even a, I was laughing because I was reading that, uh, burn after reading is the best Trump administration movie ever. And they said, oh yeah, Tilda Swinton left the CD at hard bodies. And I was like, no, that's not true. Cause they make a very specific point of it being the secretary of the lawyer that was the one that lost the CD. So even down to our secretaries, they're just so bumbling. They're just dropping important documents in the middle of like locker rooms and shit. And she just is like, Oh, I lost the CD. I'll just make another copy. And the lawyer is just kind of like, eh, whatever. I don't care. Like not even a second thought about this CD. That's literally going to end up causing people to die uh, in the movie. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's pretty wild. Uh, but yeah, Brad Pitt getting shot was 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 pretty crazy. I was not expecting that. I, I should say it's worth mentioning that it's worth mentioning that I knew nothing about this movie going in. Like I, everything I've seen from it is just sort of like the hard body stuff where Pitt is kind of like dancing 
and it's called Burn After Reading, but I never knew what it was about. I just knew Brad Pitt played an idiot in it. I didn't really know anything else about it. So I was coming into this movie super blind. Uh, so there wasn't really anything. Everything was new and was a surprise to me. So there was that. So, so like I said, when he got shot, it, it was legitimately shocking uh, for that to happen. But we check in with Frances McDormand. She's really upset because Brad Pitt's missing. She doesn't know he died, but she is like really upset. She's trying to figure out what's going on with them. And Clooney's obviously pretty freaked out because he fucking killed a man. He said multiple times in the movie that he's had a gun, but doesn't, uh, has never had to discharge it. So this is obviously the first time he's killed somebody. <laughs> so, uh, he's hanging out with Tilda Swinton and she's kind of rude to him. He's like chopping carrots and he just blows up at her and marches out and goes to hang out with Francis McDormand, but he's kind of aloof. And then she kind of confesses, oh, my friend's missing. And he's like, you know what? I'll help you. And so they, it, ironically, she literally is going to the guy that killed her friend to try to find her friend. And uh, he says he'll help her. But then I don't even really remember how this scene goes down, but it, it's, it's like they're at this park and she sees one of the CIA guys that she went on a date with previously. And then Clooney starts getting scared and he starts questioning her. He's like, are you CIA? What's going on? Who are you? You're, you're setting me up. And he like freaks out and runs away. And like, I think he even like attacks some people. I, I forgot to mention, but at some point, uh, maybe while Pitt was still spying on him, possibly, uh, he sees this guy following him and like yanks him out of his car. Well, he crashes into the guy's car, pulls him out. And he's like, who are you? Do you work for the CIA? And the guy, it's, it's a good scene where the guy's like, no, I work for, I wrote it down here, uh, Tuckman Marsh. He's like, what is that? Uh, is that? Is that a law firm? And he's like, no, it's a rock band. Yeah, it's a law firm. He's like, who hired you? And he's like, you're a divorce guy. And he's, she, my wife hired you. No, Tuckman Marsh. She hired Tuckman Marsh. They hired me. And he's, Clooney's like, she's divorcing me. And he's like, again, he's just an idiot. He's he's upset, even though literally he spent the entire movie just cheating on her relentlessly. Uh, so and it turns out she's cheating on him too. Just everybody's cheating on each other. All these rich, affluent people are all huge pieces of shit. Go figure. Like I said, not a redeemable character insight in this film. <laughs> uh, it's funny that the movie like started with Malkovich so strongly because he sort of disappears in the back half, but we keep getting reminded that Swinton's taking everything from him. We find out he's got no money. Eventually he sort of snaps and goes, fuck it. I'm going to break into the house and, and take back what I want. And while he's rooting around in there, he hears something earlier till, uh, until the Swinton, uh, <laughs> Francis McDormand was talking to Richard Jenkins and she's worried about what happened to Brad Pitt, but she also still wants to keep blackmailing Malkovich. And so Jenkins agrees to break into the house. And so he's in there while Malkovich is in there and Malkovich finds them. They get into a scuffle. Cause of course there's a big misunderstanding with them too. They make it outside, but Malkovich just has like a fucking ax, but which I, he used to break into the house and just starts hacking Richard Jenkins to pieces. Uh, so that's, uh, Jenkins gets killed. Probably, I would argue maybe the most innocent character in the film. All he was really guilty of was liking a woman who sucked, <laughs> but yeah, he gets fucking hacked to pieces by Malkovich. Uh, and that kind of, we get our, we, we just sort of, sort of shift into the last scene of the movie here. We get sort of a denouement exposition dump here where they're like, we captured George Clooney and he doesn't know anything and he wants to escape to Venezuela because he's freaked out. Uh, I mean, they know he killed somebody and they're just like, yeah, fuck it. Send him to Venezuela. We don't care. Uh, turns out Malkovich killed Jenkins and then 
someone that was following them shot Malkovich and now he's in a coma and he's brain dead. So that's that. Really the only loose end left that's alive is Frances McDormand, who has just demanded money for her surgeries and Malkovich just or Malkovich. Uh JK Simmons. There's a lot of bald white guys in this movie. What do you want from me? Uh, <laughs> uh Simmons. Uh, I almost said Jenkins and Malkovich at the same time. Uh Simmons is like, yeah, pay her, I don't give a shit. Uh, and like I said, at the beginning of the, of the podcast, the, the final scene is just him going, well, what did we learn? And his underlings like, I don't know. He's like, oh, I guess we don't do that again. Jesus Christ zooms out. So it's just this big, aha, wink, wink. Uh, nobody learned anything. Everyone's dumb. Multiple people died and nobody cares. And no one's taking any accountability for anything. The government's just as stupid. Nobody knows what's going on. Can't trust anybody. Everybody that's affluent and rich and running things is incompetent and stupid. And this is kind of a satire, but the more time goes on, it doesn't feel like a satire, which again, some people would argue makes it more relevant because it's like, well, it's even more relevant today because everyone, we've just come to find out that this is all just true. But for me, it's just like, it just defeats the point of like satire when you're just showing me again, it's so cartoonish that it still kind of works in that zone, but it's almost for me personally watching this, it's almost just a depressing thing to watch or I'm just like, yep, our government is corrupt and stupid. Yep. The there's like rich affluent people who have nothing better to do, but hate on each other and cheat. And yeah, there's misunderstandings where there's literally nothing at stake and then people can die over it. Uh, and it's just, I don't know. It just, it feels like as much as this is one of their goofiest comedies they've made, as far as I can tell, like I said, I haven't seen everything. It also feels like one of the bleakest movies I've ever seen. And I just feel kind of shitty after watching it. But I, I, again, I appreciate the performances. I appreciate the filmmaking. It's really well done. You know, I think I read a review that was said something along the lines of, it's kind of crazy when this is your 10th best movie or whatever. And I, t I tend to agree with that review where I think that this, this movie was made by somebody else, I would maybe be more wowed by it, but because it's the Coen brothers, I, the, the, the bar is just so high. I mean, you're talking about the guys that made no country for old men, which I would argue is possibly a masterpiece. And then you have something like this where, there's a lot to like, but just as a cohesive piece, it just feels so messy and sloppy. And like I said, even though this is ironically the point of the film, it feels pointless, literally feels pointless. I finished the movie and I'm like, why did I watch that? I, it's just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel great. Uh, and I, I didn't love it. I just didn't love it. It's, uh, once I watch all the Coen brothers films, I can't help but feel like this will be rocking out at the bottom of the list. Uh, I know they have a couple other slight misses in, in their catalog, but yeah, just this one just didn't do it for me. You know, it's not even that I don't hate their more screwball stuff. I really liked Raising Arizona. Uh, I liked that movie a lot, but it felt more focused and I cared a lot more about the characters. And I just, I got, I could not be arsed to give a shit about anyone in this movie. And again, I know that's like kind of the point, but it's just like this kind of stuff just isn't for me. It's just that plain and simple. There's, there's really no reason to hem and haw about it, honestly. I, I want to like make excuses and try to parse through everything, but it's it's just subjectivity. I, I like a movie where the story is compelling and I like the characters, but the point of this movie is the plot 
is purposely convoluted because everyone's an idiot and the characters are all irredeemable and they suck. And I'm okay with a shitty character as long as they're like compelling and I understand why they're doing what they're doing. I can have I can have sympathy or empathy, you know, or whatever. Like if I you know, I watch something like Scarface, I'm not like that guy's a good guy and I hope he wins, but I'm like I get he started out low on the totem pole and he got corrupted by power and power corrupts and I'm I'm compelled by that character. Uh but something like this, I'm like, yeah, Francis McDormand wants surgery. I guess, I don't know, I'm not rooting for her, uh, and, and I don't care what happens to her. It's just, the scenes, although each individual scene feels so well-crafted, and they're such great writers, the Coen brothers, I just I just can't be arsed to care. And then they shoot Brad Pitt in the face, like, two, two-thirds of the way into the movie, and I'm like, well, you just lost your most fun character, so good job. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I'm not going to be too hard on this movie. Because uh, it's still good, it's still well crafted, it's well made, and it, it was it wasn't unpleasant to watch. But uh, I think we're gonna give it. You know what? I thought talking through the movie, I would start to like it more. I'm gonna be mean. I'm gonna be a little mean to this one. I'm giving it a five out of ten. Uh, which, if you if you never listened to the show before, God bless you for having this be your first episode. Fuck's sake. Uh, <laughs> but I have a grading curve, so a five out of ten isn't necessarily a five out of ten. Uh, it's it's like in real life for me it's like i'm probably gonna give it like a three out of five on letterbox but yeah i don't know i'm not feeling very charitable towards it after talking about it all this time just yeah i don't know it was it was just okay it was just okay uh when i finished it last night i was like huh that was a movie okay uh i liked everybody in it but that was about it (laughs) yeah fucking five out of ten i don't care (laughs) recommendations we're gonna burn through these really quick uh Cohen Brothers. We're going to go with Fargo, because Fargo is maybe their best movie. I quite liked Hail Caesar, uh, and Raisin Arizona is a treat. Uh, as far as Francis McDormand goes, Three Billboards, a McDonough movie. I really like that. I mentioned it earlier, but you know, check out Cajillionaire uh, with Richard Jenkins. He's not the lead in it, but he's good. Uh, let's see. Tilda Swinton, do you got anything that I really like? No, because you fucking work with shitty ass uh Wes Anderson all the time. Uh she's an adaptation. That's a good one. Uh and then she's in Suspiria. She's really great in Suspiria. Would recommend the Suspiria remake for sure. Uh Clooney, he's also in Hail Caesar. We 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 like that around here. You know, we like the Oceans movies. Oh, Dust Till Dawn. That's my favorite Clooney movie right there. Fucking Dust Till Dawn. Absolutely. Uh yeah, I do I do love him in Dust Till Dawn. That's right. <laughs> uh Brad Pitt I always, I mean, Brad Pitt, you can't fucking miss. You got Seven, you got 12 Monkeys, you got Fight Club, you got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'll say, I'll say the uh, deep cut for Brad Pitt for me. It's not a perfect movie or anything, but if you want to see him play like a fucking character, uh, there's a movie called California with a K where he plays this crazy redneck serial killer. And I mean, I'm telling you, you want to see Brad, I mean, he's, he's, I think people think, because he's so handsome, people think of him as a movie star, but I mean, you tell me the guy in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the same guy as the guy in Snatch, is the same guy as Mr. and Mrs. Smith, or Tree of Life, or Moneyball, or fucking uh, 12 Monkeys, he's crazy in 12 Monkeys, or Troy, he's, I mean, that's like a movie star role for him, but you meet Joe Black, he's, he's interesting in that, but then you got like California, where he's just like, 
Yep. Uh, he's doing like a full-on sling blade impression. I don't know. Uh, I know Brad Pitt's like one of the most famous actors in the world, but he's, he's kind of criminally underrated. Uh, just in terms of his ability to be like a character actor, even he's just, I wouldn't say he's held back by how handsome he is, but it's just, I don't know, Cliff Booth in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that's, that's a great fucking character and he's really, he's really good in it. Uh, yeah, just like, just appreciate Brad Pitt. That's my recommendation, <laughs> but yeah, hopefully that'll tide you guys over a couple deep cuts in there. I like Nomadland with Francis McDormand too. That was an interesting movie, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I'm running out of time here in the studio. I've got eight minutes to get out of the building. Uh, so I'd like to ramble on and try to work through my feelings a little bit more as far as the movie goes. And, I, and the, there's so many good actors in this movie. I could spend all day talking about other movies they did, but we're going to, we're going to cut, we're going to cut Jake off here. Uh, that's the end of the show guys. Uh, I appreciate if you're hearing this right now it means you made it to the end of the episode and God bless you. I love you. You're the best. Thanks for listening to me ramble through this movie I didn't particularly love. Uh, I hope it was listenable. Uh, if it wasn't, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, but that's okay, because it's over now. <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> Forever. Just kidding. Uh, but I love you guys. I'll catch you later. And as I unfortunately always say at the end of every episode, I'll catch you on the flip-flop later, which I kind of already said. But, uh, b-